Uh, let me open in prayer and we'll, we'll get started. Father, we just thank you for this evening. Uh, just a chance for us to come together. And we do pray for so many, Lord, who are one way or the other sick. Uh, many who are recovering. We pray for a full, my, my constant prayer for us who get sick is just a vast, rapid, and full recovery. Um, and I just pray that for all the people we just mentioned, um, just be with them. As we open up your word, Lord, um, as usual, we want to really hear from you. We want to not just get this stuff in our head, not just gain a bunch more knowledge, but we do it so we can be in an active relationship with the living God in Christ. Hmm. And may that happen today, Lord, as we again open up your word. Uh, help us to wrestle with your word like Jacob. Uh, help us to know more about who you are, how much you love us. May we more and more find our identity, not in this world, which is fruitless, but to find our identity in you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So, um, all right. Well, we are, last week... Um, we did the water versus water into wine. Um, I was hoping Mike was going to be here. After <laughs> so, because he, because I know that he knows real wine. <laughs> he knows wine good. Um, is that a fair thing to say? That's a fair thing to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he was going to be the master of the feast, but Bruce filled in for you last week. How do you um, do? He did, he did good. And he tested the fact that it was real wine. So we turned water into wine last week. Everyone's still trying. Some people figure it out. Speaking of water to wine, there's, there's John. Hey, Jess. How are you? Hi. How are you doing, John? Good, good. How's it going? Super. Good. Good to see you. I like that shirt. Yeah. Good shirt. All right. So we are going to cleanse the temple today. Um, it's on page... I can't even read my... Or all my writing. Page 14. And I think we will do um, as we usually do. And you know, just you know, while I'm thinking about it, um, so when I'm in our study, if I'm doing something visual, like the water or wine, or when I did the stuff with the these glasses and stuff. I'm trying, if I know I'm going to do that ahead of time, I'm trying to videotape it just on my little GoPro. And then I will make a little clip of it. Um, and then it's part of the podcast. But if you guys don't know how to do that, so what happens is I will, I'm trying to figure out how to do this. So I'm learning to go along. So what I've been trying to do is if I do something like that, it's going to refer to a video. As you're listening to the podcast, it will say at this point, go and watch the video. Okay, the video is actually in the link to the description, depending on what you use for, by, for podcasts. Um, but also, if you just go to the website, which is really my name, it's, it's, it's called crosssense.org. It's just a website I use to do podcasts, the podcast sun. Um, or gregsoul.com. If you just go there, you'll see... Um, you know, we have Isaiah in there, and so you'll see John. If you click on that, you just see a list of the different ones that we're doing for the audio. If we have a video as part of that, I put the video right there, too. Um, so, 
Anyway, just in case if you want to go back and watch that and listen to it so you know how to do that. All right. Uh, so, as we usually do, so we're now in the section of this cleansing of the temple. Let me review a couple things. One is last week we looked at the very first sign that Jesus does, does uh, for his ministry, which is the um, turning the water into wine. And what you have is, you'll see if you take a look on page 12, um, it says, it starts out on uh, chapter 2, it says, On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. All right. And so what ends up happening is that Jesus goes to this place called Cana in Galilee. is like northern Israel. And so in, in Israel, you have Jerusalem at the south. You have um, the Sea of Galilee, which is like a big Lake Tahoe, up at the north part. And just a little east of that, towards the Mediterranean, is where you have Cana. Also, um, up there is where Samaria is a little south of that. Um, the city that Jesus was from is also a little south of that. So, this was a, it's about a, I think they say maybe like a three-day walk three, four-day walk to go from, like, Galilee all the way down to Jerusalem. It's not that far. If you take a look, if you were to drive from Napa in the Bay Area, so I remember this because when I was teaching the Bay Area, that's what I'd say. If you drive from Napa down to Monterey or Carmel, you pretty much are going the length of Israel. That's how small it is. If you go from L.A. pretty much to the border here, that's how long Israel is. So it's very small. Oh. Okay, it's just a very, it's, it's not a very big, big area. So um, so you, what's happening here is Jesus goes up, he's in Galilee, goes to Cana, and what's going to happen is he's going to go from Cana, and then um, you'll see in verse 12 on page 14, it says, after he goes there, he then went down to Capernaum, now, when you hear the words up and down, usually that refers to um, elevation. So, he's up at Cana, which is higher than Capernaum, which is down by the Sea of Galilee. Alright, so it says that he then travels from Cana, he goes down to Capernaum, which is where um, it says, with his mother and his brothers and disciples, he stays there a few, a few days. Then you'll notice it says next in verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. <laughs> so up is not, up is down. <laughs> he goes from Capernaum and Galilee, he goes down mostly through Samaria. There's a big route there. He comes down to Jerusalem, but it says up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem's not a mountain or a hill. And so he goes up to Jerusalem. So that's why you see all this. Light. Well, they're not talking about north and south. They're talking about right. elevation. That's right. Oh. That's right. Exactly. Now okay. it makes more yeah. sense. Yeah. So they're, they're more talking elevate. Like, I'm going to do the Good Samaritan parable. Um, um, and it starts out on the way from Jerusalem to Jericho. So Jerusalem's up and the Jericho's like, like the lowest city on the face of the earth, actually. So... There's a going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Um, so, anyway, let's just give you an idea. What's going to happen is we're going to see that Jesus is going to come down to Jerusalem 
And then some later passages in a chapter or two, he's going to go back up and return back to Cana. So he sort of does this round trip where he's going to come back to Cana to do another sign. Okay, so just sort of give you a little perspective of what's going on there. Verse 12, also you notice that we talked a little bit about this last week with Jesus' mother. With his mother and his brothers and his disciples, his mother, um, this is the last time his mother is mentioned, until the cross. And then his mother is at the cross. And then to just, I've got a friend who's a Catholic, in fact, it was my very first girlfriend when I was 18. She's the one who started me to think about Jesus. And she's still Catholic. And um, she, her and I had, had this discussion last year. Um, she's married. She's up in Modesto. Um, lives up there. But we were going back and forth. Because they, you know, the Catholics don't believe. They believe that Jesus, that they believe that Mary was always a virgin, that never had kids after Jesus, okay? Really? Well, yeah. So Catholics believe, in fact, it was interesting, I was listening to some of the priests talk about this. So they believe that, that Mary had to be, I think it's called, you got some of you might know, in some perpetual virginity, something, some word, term. But it basically means that they believe Mary, they believe really Mary didn't sin. Um, but they believe that she never had any other kids through Joseph or at all. It was only Jesus through Immaculate Conception. The problem is, yeah. <laughs> you get to passages like this. That's a problem. All right? yeah. And there's a couple other ones that pretty explicitly say Jesus has brothers, and they try to explain that away with saying, well, it didn't really mean brothers, it sort of means friends, it sort of means cousins. That's like the biblical evidence is hard to support that. <laughs> it's, it seems pretty obvious. Do the Catholics have their own Bible? No. But before the Reformation, before the translations were directed, they did probably scrape this out. Well, I don't know if they, they just read it differently, I think would be a way to put it. They wouldn't take it out of the scriptures, because... Um, I mean, I'm talking like 500 years ago. Yeah, I don't think they ever took it out. I think they just read it okay. differently. Great. Yeah. Are there some, like, apocryphal books in the in the Catholic Bible? Don't they have, like, an yeah, Catholic catechism? <laughs> yeah. Well, they do have... So, the Catholic... It was interesting. I was listening to a priest talk about this. They do have the Apocrypha. Yeah. But they actually do not believe it's inspired in the same way what we have called Scripture is. Okay. So they do, if you find a Catholic Bible, sometimes you'll see a Catholic Bible that looks a lot thicker. It's got the apocryphal books in it, which yeah. are really more history in a sense, um, yeah. but not inspired. But they... Um, you, you would they think really that's think. where they got the idea, and like maybe those other books, because there's nothing <clears throat> about that in no. the Gospels. No. Or, yeah. Um, and I was just reading again that that whole belief didn't start appearing until, I think, like two, like 300 AD or something. Okay. Um, that the whole idea of Mary being that way started to appear. Um, but if you go and take it, I won't go there now, but if you go and take a look at Matthew one twenty five, Luke 2, 7, those are other places that pretty much talk about, like, well, you had, it talks like, Mary, Jesus was Mary's first child, 
but then she, she had <laughs> other children. Um, but they always and, refer to her as the Virgin Mary. They do. And they don't believe that, that we could say Virgin Mary being yeah. she was a virgin before she had Jesus, right. but they're meaning forever. It's called perpetual. Okay. Yeah. What did they do with James, the brother of Jesus? So, so they don't believe that James was the brother of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> they Very believe simple. that he it's was like. <laughs> yeah. They, they, there's debate about who James is, who wrote the book of James, but when they say James' brother of Jesus, again, they take that. The problem is they translate a cousin usually, that he was a cousin, not a direct brother, but the yeah, Greek. I believe that's what I heard. But the Greek. So what about the problem his cousin, is, John the Baptist? Yeah. Wouldn't they just call him his brother? Well, and the problem is, is there is a word for cousin in Greek. Yeah. So if the scriptures wanted to say James was the cousin of Jesus, they would have used cousin. Yeah. But they don't. So there's some of my little Catholic non-history that I know of there. Anyway, so this is pretty much the last time we're going to hear about his mother until then. Um, and then we're going to pick up on verse 13, and let's hey, just go I ahead and read something it. about yeah. mm-hmm. verse 12. Oh, uh-huh. Um, well, actually, 11. And his, and his disciples believed in him. So that's after the miracle at Cana, right? Correct. So they went, wow. As a result of the miracle. As a result. Okay. They said, wow, they believed in him, right? Yes. And then... We know his mother believed in him because she said for him to do his miracle. Yeah. Stuff. Right. But his brothers. Yeah. We know that until the very end, they did not believe him. So it sounds like from this, context-wise, that they were there at Cana. And if they weren't, his mom and the disciples would have told them what happened. And they're still not believing. Yeah. Which we're going to see this theme sort of going through John where some believe, some don't. Some... And the belief seems to also sort of progress. You know, I think, like, they saw this miracle, they believed, but do they keep, the whole subject, do they keep believing? Does that belief like stick? they fall away? Or? Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, exactly. All right. Um, all right. <clears throat> and I think maybe some of, you know, I don't know, I mean, some of it can be like, I don't know if any of you have had that experience, you know, where you, like for me, I had the experience, because I wasn't raised as a Christian at all, like nothing, didn't even know what a church was. Um, I started going to Episcopal church when I was like 27, and I started believing in God, and I started believing in the God of the Bible, but I did not get Jesus. I just like kept going, I don't get why this guy died on the cross. Yeah, didn't make sense to me, you know? So it's like, my belief, you could say, if you asked me at that point, before, I would say, I didn't believe in God at all. Oh. But then I would say, yeah, I believe in God. And then I'd even say, I believe in the Christian God of the Bible. But I didn't believe in Jesus yet. And it wasn't until I actually put my faith in Jesus. And that's when my whole life just went um, and changed. And I saw a big, huge change. That, that would be more like the born-again experience. Exactly. You know, you know I mean, it was like, I oh, know really? what it was, and I know exactly what happened. <laughs> How old were you then? Um, so 28. 28. Oh. Yeah, 28. So anyway, there could be some of this sort of sense of 
bringing us along to that belief. Um, all right. Um, Bruce, why don't you read 13 through 17, then Pete, why don't you pick up at 18 and read the rest down to 22. Okay. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Hmm. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken forty-six years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Awesome. Um, one little point to make, um, and then ask you guys what you, what you see in here as we read through this, is different people have tried to organize John into different sections. One of them is by signs that we were talking about last week, by these different miracles that he does. Another one is by feasts. And so here we begin the first feast. All right, so this is the first feast. So really what we have right here is the launch of Jesus' public ministry in John. Okay, so in the, in the Gospels, you have a time when Jesus like launches into his ministry. We had this whole debate last week, but the, the, um, the turning of the water into wine happens in a happens in somewhat of a, you know, it's, it's in a wedding situation. Not a lot of people, is really the servants who saw the water to wine. We don't really know how much that spread or not. But now we're at a place where what Jesus is doing is very public. Okay, so this is like the launch of his, as you can see, you can't get much more public than this. This is like the launch of his public ministry. So this is the first Passover. So how often do Passovers happen? Once a year. Once a year. So what's going to happen is, we won't, don't need to look at it right now, but the next Passover happens in chapter 6, verse 4, which would be the second year of Jesus' ministry. And then the third Passover starts around chapter 11, verse 55. So there's going to be these three Passovers that sort of start Jesus' ministry. So when you say, how do we know how long he did his ministry? If we look at just John alone... We could track it by these different Passovers. But we're going to see there's other feasts that also get pointed out by John as we go along. So anyway, just sort of throw that out to you guys so you um, see that. So anyway, so we just read about this, cleansing the temple. I was thinking, gosh, put a bunch of stuff on the table. (laughs) 
turn over the tables, you know, and then they come in tomorrow morning for Wednesday prayer, and they're like, what happened to this room? I could just say, Jesus, Jesus was here. Um, anyway. So How many Passovers a year do you think? Just one Passover a year. Just one. Well, okay. Just one. There's always just one Passover a year, right. So celebrate every year. Um, there's a certain calendar about how they figure that out. Um, so that's how we know there's three. You have, you're tracking three years of Jesus' ministry in, in gospel. Yeah. Then the calendar changed after he passed, right? Yeah, but the Jews, it, it, we did. We picked up we a different did. calendar, obviously, January the Jews 1st. Didn't change there. The Jews did not. Still, Still they don't. The Passover is, I, I think, think that's the beginning of the Yeah, yeah, they, they track a different way. So anyway, um, going through here, reading this, any comments, any thoughts? What's sort of hits you, strikes you. In the Greek, is there any other, I mean, it says Father's house, house of trade. Is there any other word for this Bible says merchandise. Mm. Oh, There's a different scripture, I guess, that says you've made my Father's house a den of thieves. Is that elsewhere? Yeah, it is. Where's that? So that's in another version. So, Oh, is that which, this verse? Well, yeah. Good. So, this there's a cleansing of the temple. <laughs> so you just brought the good subject, which is there's a cleansing of a temple that happens in the other gospels stories. So the other three, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record the cleansing of the temple. But where do you think the cleansing of the temple happened in relation to Jesus's ministry in those other gospels? At, the end. at another time? At another time. At the, towards the end. Towards the end. Very good. Really? So, this creates the debate that as people go, wait a minute, John's recording this as the very first thing hmm. in Jesus' ministry. The other Gospels record it in, um, towards the end of the ministry. All right, so that's where you're picking that up, Tom, is from another one of the other Gospels. <clears throat> so what do you guys think? So, okay, so try to figure out what could that, what could, what could be the reasons for that? He could have cleansed the temple twice. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> so he could have cleansed the temple, tw temple twice. Exactly. All right, so that did not... In fact, if you look at the language, which one is my type? If you look at the language of the other three Gospels, and you look at the language of John about how this temple cleansing happened, and Tom just brought up one, there's a lot of differences in the description, leading many to believe that that's exactly what happened, is that there's two cleansings, the cleansings of the temple. I remember how he told you that John... Did John's recording a lot of things the other Gospels did not? So, it's very possible. Can I read? I found it. Yeah. Uh -huh. So which, so which Matthew number is that? Matthew 21. Okay. Verse 12. Yeah. Good. Yeah, why don't you read that one? Just give another example. I'm just reading for context a little higher. Yeah, do. Go up. Yeah. Oh. So this is when he goes in at the end, at the very end. So at he's the very end. In, and this is Passover, too. Yeah, very which end. Which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, which, okay, yeah, hold that. Like, why would it be Passover if this is yeah, happening? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. There's a very good chose, reason. He chose 
Passover right. to enter Jerusalem the first time right. and then to enter to die. Yeah, why, why would the cleansing of the temple happen during Passover? Because that's when they're selling this stuff to sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because what ends up happening, this cleansing of the temple, all these Jews are coming, and Gentiles, by the way, yeah. are coming from all over, alright, to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. They're not bringing chickens and donkeys and doves and cows, and they're not bringing that to be sacrificed in the temple because they're not going to carry that with them. Okay, unless they were local. So what are they doing? They're going to the temple. Sacrifices at the temple, which is why you have this happening. Mm. I mean, on the surface of it, there's nothing wrong with that happening because that's what these guys did. They they sold you here, sell you a dove, two bucks. All right, now go go and sacrifice your dove. Also, I think they sold sacramental animals that were perfect, so they charged a whole lot more for them <laughs> than you would. Exactly, exactly. So. Anyway, I've, I've also, I've also yeah. heard that, that they would fault find with the animals. If you brought your own animal, they would find oh. some fault with it and then say, you need to buy ours, <laughs> right, for X, X amount more. Yeah. Yeah. That starts getting making that business shady, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. 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 So, go ahead and listen to Tom's version. Tom's version. <laughs> this Tom's version <laughs> okay. of, Tom. of this temple in Matthew. So go, go ahead. I, I just for a little context, a little earlier, so when he went into Jerusalem, they were at this at the end, so they thought he was the Messiah. Then the multitudes who went before those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? I think they know by now, right? Three years later. <laughs> so the multitude said, is this Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee? Then Jesus went into the temple of God and moved and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And then Mine says asked, den of robbers. Then, yeah, then uh, just interesting, yeah. you know, after he drove them out, the next thing that happened, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. Oh, huh. Oh. oh. And he healed them. Oh, is that what, that's, oh, a, that's that. a nice follow-up. Yeah, that's, yeah, I didn't even I didn't know that. That's Imagine right. the Pharisees about ready to jump on him, and then he starts healing people. They're going, wow. Hmm. Uh, shut up. Yeah. That's fascinating. Okay. And then they asked him the same question. But when the chief, and he healed them, but when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, so they admit it's wonderful, they're like, oh, it's wonderful. He did... And the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna, the son of David. Can you imagine? Just kids. <laughs> Innocence. <laughs> innocent babe. And he said to them, do you hear what they're saying? I guess they said to him, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never heard out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? He then left them and went out of the city. To Bethlehem. Did you guys hear some differences there? From this one, just in sort of hearing, you can hear it sort of sounds 
there's differences, there's quite a bit of differences in the actual language of what actually happens. Um, you hear about doves. What was, what was the animals there? Was only doves? Yeah. Uh, turned over the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Yeah, what do you what do you see in this account? Notice what you see in this Other account. Other animals. Yeah. Other animals, quite a bit. Well, doves and other animals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's over 250,000 animals were sacrificed. The priests sold licenses wow. to dealers. Hmm. It was a great source of income for the Passover. And the Bible called it them the change of money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a huge business. I mean, all these people doing, you know. And again, on the surface, it doesn't necessarily mean that's bad. I mean, if you're if you're doing it legitimately, selling the sacrifices and stuff. Who were when you're talking about the priests? I, I get a little confused. Were those the priests that believed in the Jewish law and not so much uh, Jesus? Is that what they're, when they're selling? They were the, the priests were selling licenses to sell. Were those the Jewish? They were the Jewish priests. Okay. Now, yeah. So priests. Is a, is a big profession at that time. The priests are the ones who served in the temple. The Levites did too. But the priests were the ones who really served within the temple. And the priests are the ones who can make sacrifices. They're the ones who followed all the Levitical laws around what a priest is. Um, so that, that was a big profession. In fact, in the Good Samaritan parable, it talks about how um, they were going from Jerusalem to Jericho, so that a lot of the priests actually lived in Jericho, which is a town 17 miles down a mountainside um, from Jerusalem. So they would go up, it would be like a regular job. I mean, they would go up and they would spend like a week in the temple doing all the different priestly type duties, then they would go back home. And then another set of priests would be coming along and taking over. Um, I'm sure some priests ended up believing in Jesus. Many did not. Um, yeah. How about anybody else? Anything else you've seen as we're reading this passage? Anything else that strikes you? Let me ask this. Listen to what Tom just said in reading. So why would people think that Jesus, why would so, so so some people would think, oh, well, there's only one cleanse in the temple, and John just decides to put this at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. All right, why, why, why do they think that? Because the cleansing of the temple is going to create a lot of stir. I mean, it's something you would think like, oh my gosh, if he cleansed the temple, and he did this at the beginning of his ministry, wow, I mean, all these things would have happened a lot sooner because people would have, you know, we see Jesus' ministry start progressing. But I think what's interesting is, I didn't think about this before, Tom, when you read that part, how different the second cleansing sounds and how much more upfront it was, because I loved it. Like you said, he didn't just, um, I never saw that before, he didn't just cleanse the temple, but then he starts healing people. So this is at the end of Jesus' ministry. So at this point, you start doing that, <laughs> it's going to probably cause a lot of attention to people. 
Where here, Jesus could have started his ministry three years before that and cleansed the temple, and it might not have created as much stir at that point. In fact, they said this temple is so huge. And, you know, he could have done this in just one this little part small, of the temple. Small section it could have been like a small section, and so we read about this, but it wasn't something that caused a lot of that stir. Well, the, the healing of people right after he did the act of cleansing the temple uh, silenced the priests. They didn't, they didn't come after him then, you know, because he started healing people and they could see that yeah. they were up against Whatever, you yeah. know, the people yeah. wouldn't wouldn't stand for them yeah. getting Jesus if if um, after he had healed people. Right, right. I wonder if the other gospels I know is the the account what which book did you read out of for Matthew. 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 I wonder if any of the other ones have a similar question where they, they ask by what authority do you do this? And then he says, uh-huh. you know, or what sign do you give us? Yeah. I, well, well, in the other ones, he says, I give you the sign of Jonah, right? Is that part of the temple? So one of the things we talked yeah. about last week is, does anybody remember, so, about signs and miracles? So last week, here's a big difference. John, the Gospel of John, only uses, never uses the term miracle, only uses the term sign. The Gospels never use sign for a miracle. <laughs> okay? So even when, like, when he said sign of Jonah, that's not the miracle of Jonah. It's a sign. It means something. It's a little different way of talking about it. Same word. But so... So anyway, when we hear in John the word sign, we should think miracle. <laughs> in essence. Okay? Um... Anyway, you were asking. Yeah, because I'm. I'm, I'm I can tell you where the other ones are. Yeah, it's it's Matthew twelve thirty eight and Mark eight twelve. Yeah, I was I was wondering because at the after Jesus was crucified and put in the tomb, then the um, the religious leaders go to Pontius Pilate or whoever, and they say. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again, right? And then he says, go make the tomb as, as secure as you know how, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. But, but I'm wondering how they knew, because I don't, he announced it many times to his disciples, but right. very few times outside of his disciples. Hey, Jason. And, yeah, um, yeah. And this is one of them, but it may the other one may have been that. But if it was in the beginning of his ministry, it'd be interesting that they would remember that. Versus, yeah, and I was reading a little bit about that in the commentaries um, because what you're talking about there is where um, it's asked almost like, did it really happen or not? Do they believe it? I mean, did did they hear that right, or was it sort of a rumor? I think it might have turned into almost like a rumor at that point. Is what you're hearing is it's almost yeah. like they're thinking this yeah, rumor. Oh, said, he's going to rise in three days. He said this, and right? If this, if this happens, this this deception yeah. will be worse than. So the funny thing is, Jesus probably they did probably pick that up from Jesus, and now it's become sort of the thing everybody's heard. But even his right. disciples were were like clueless, though, right? No clueless. Like 
they, they Which we're going to see telling here. Them and they, they, like, they didn't yeah, get it. Exactly. But obviously the religious leaders, they understood what he said, even though they were playing dumb a lot of times. Right. But I don't think they fully yet even still understood as to whether he really was going to rise from the dead. I think well, what you're well, reading well, there, right? At least they knew that he said he said us, right? Which is which is very important because again, the disciples were not expecting him to rise on the third day. Like like the religious leaders were were at least knew that he said that. Yeah. So if the disciples knew that he said that, they would have been like, all right, well, let's see. They were just totally clueless. Yeah. 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 Which yeah, we're going to read something about that here. <laughs> and who actually out of those? All those gospels who actually is witnessing this? Who's witnessing which part? What the this this cleansing of the temple and him answering back? I yeah. will come back in three days. Who's actually witnessing this? Great the question. Religious leaders, yeah. disciples, the bystanders there, and the people. Changes. So in John's version, this is what's fascinating. I think. I don't know if you were here the first well, night we might talk two days ago, two two times ago when we talked about the synoptic gospels, and yeah. we talked about how John was the real witness, right? Exactly. The other, ones, the other ones were kind of secondhand. So. so that's why you probably have John recording this because this this first cleansing because John was actually there. Okay. It would have been before Matthew, um, or before like written before or no be- before Matthew was recruited as a disciple, um, and I don't know that off right point. off hand. Okay. But John is telling us things that the other gospels don't. Okay, so He's John really was, paying attention. Yeah, John. Yeah, remember, we there, looked at that. John was like a first-hand yeah. witness to these right. events. Yeah. So you okay. think? But I guess I'm sorry. Correct. Yeah. This well, is this is new to me. Um, that there's two times he did this. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. right. And that's what you believe? I, yes. Okay. I would say the evidence to me would suggest that he definitely did, the, did this two times. I think when you look at it, and in part, I mean, you get a lot of reasons. And one is, John is telling us things that aren't recorded in the other Gospels, so it makes sense he's trying to point out, hey, this happened and none of the other Gospels wrote about it. Okay. You know, it's interesting, too. Yeah. I mean, what's your word, inclusio? Inclusio. Is that the bookend? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because this oh, is yeah. this is a huge bookend. I don't, I yeah. can't think of any other time in scripture. The temples. Yeah. Is there any other instance in scripture where he went to a place and did something, and then he did the, he came back and did the exact same thing? Good question. I don't think I don't so. Have. No. So that's good story structure. Which would make sense too, because what what is he talking about here? He's talking about ultimately what's going to happen to the presence of God. Where is God? The temple is the key, key thing for the Jews, right? The temple is it. I mean, that is where God is present. Jesus is saying something radically, radically changing with the temple. Okay. Um, So anyway, going back to what you were saying, Ken. Oh, you might have already answered the question and I wasn't paying attention. But I guess the whole thing, the reason I I was asking about the different versions Mm -hmm. is that when he comes, when he's asked, when, they, when Jesus answers, and he says that I will be, it'll, it'll rise in three days. I guess I'm a little confused about that. Is he, who is he actually? Is who's asking him that? The Jewish, the priests, the, the the people that he's trying to um, 
stop this whole devilish act? Who, who is he telling that to, and who's really actually... Who understands that at this time? Who can understand what he's even talking about? They don't. That'd be like a guy walking in the store right now and telling us right now, um, stop all this right now. We're going to look at this book, and you'll know why, because in three days I'm going to you know, rise from the dead. Exactly. Who's, who understands that? No one. Mm-hmm. I would say at this point, no one. And we see that in what he says next. Okay? So your question is right on there, because what we find out is that the disciples do not understand that and do not get it until after Jesus rose from the dead. So in, so in essence, he was saying these things and no one got it until after the fact. And we're going to see how that's a huge thing John's pointing out here in this story. And that's happening over and over again. That yeah, it's like, that's, that's a big fast forward. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, in fact, a very big fast forward, but it's, it's key. So, um, so, there's another difference yeah. um, of how it's significant. He made a whip of cords. Mm-hmm. He didn't do that the second time. No. And here oh. he's... Mm-hmm. Where is there a whip of cords used elsewhere? Well, the cat of nine tails for the, for the lashes... Jesus. We don't know if they're cat or nine tails. It doesn't say that. It's really say that? Lashes. Lashes. But I mean, it, lashes and lashes. I mean, this is a whip of cords, and the Romans beat him with a whip of cords. Yep. Yeah, there's tails. Oh. Is, is that the same? Does yours say that? Yeah. Oh. What does it say? What does yours say? How does it say that? It says, um. Let's go tell on him. He turns to the tables on the devil. The ten stinging cords of the ten commandments in the hand of. In the hand of the Savior, cleanse the temple of sin. I don't understand. Yeah. Ten stinging cords of the Ten Commandments. I don't know. We the, they're the Ten Commandments. That's that. So one cord for each. What? What? Jason has arisen. <laughs> it didn't even take three days. <laughs> That's right. What is? What's he saying here? What is what is he symbolically doing and saying here? Right? He's cleansing the temple, and then he's making he's cleansing his temple. Right. <laughs> Who is his temple? And uh-huh. he's talking about his body. Right. What other body are we talking about? Who is he going to cleanse by his death and resurrection? Mm-hmm. What were the commandments for? but to keep us holy and pure, right? So we, he's saying, we are, I'm here to cleanse you guys. You're the temple. This is just symbolic of that. Although and I'm, he's, and I'm yeah. saying it here very clearly. And John is the, saying, I love it how John goes, what he meant by this was like he yeah. fills uh, in that blank. Right. That's what I love about it. we were just right. talking, Bruce and I were talking. John sort of the thing fun about John that we're reading is John does his own commentary. Right. It's they always say the best way to interpret scripture is let scripture interpret itself. Right. Okay. It's sort of like the rule of thumb is is if you're ever going to wonder what does this mean, try to figure out from scripture what it's telling you it means. Right. And what's great about John is John here is telling us what it means. Right. And he's telling us 
Mm-hmm. He's making us go fast forward and reverse, you know, sort of like um, Back to the Future. That's right. <laughs> you know, and over the, and over again. And those ten, ten stinging cords of the Ten Commandments, why do they sting? Because they are sins that every human being is guilty of. And you have to recognize that to humble yourself enough, which is what the Jews weren't able to do. And they should have understand when Jesus says, if you knew the Father, you'd know me. But you don't know the Father. Because you haven't humbled yourself enough. You haven't realized you are sinners. These Ten Commandments were supposed to do that to you. But instead you pretend you're abiding by them. Right? Pretend is right. How okay. Do we, how do we know how old Jesus is? From Scripture. I wonder if there's a passage somewhere that says I we know we thought we know when he was twelve, and then all of a sudden he's almost thirty. It, try to remember does it say that. he started his ministry when he was thirty. I don't. Well, somewhere it says when, something. When, when he was born, say, when he was born, there was a there was a census taken. And I think that they can date that, right? So when the when the census was taken, yeah. But we, um, but in, but in I secular thought, history, there's no date where he was crucified. So uh, yeah, people try is, to guess. The census yeah. doesn't do any good. I'm just going yeah. no, here. That's a good question. I'm going here yeah. for fun. You <laughs> right. know why? Oh, do you get it? No, go ahead. No. It has taken 46 years to build this temple. Right now. That's the that's the get what I'm saying, yeah. right? But you think it? Well, f- do you know what you? you I'm think thinking Jesus, Jesus might be 46 no. years old. No, they, they that was the temple of right. Herod, right? And it took them 46 I years yeah. to build it. It's a metaphor. Yeah, I think no, we should look, but I think it's, it's just saying. fine. Right? I'm no, it's fine. It's no, fine. that's fine. I back off. So, but I do think I do think there's some place. And I just don't know where that it says something. I mean, I asked that question myself, like, yeah, somewhere in the past. And I thought I remember there's some place where we're hearing something about age, so around 30 or something. So I think there's somewhere in the Gospels that talk about his age. I just don't remember offhand. I think if we, if you guys remember, you guys find it, let me know. If you find it, let me know. Because I think there's somewhere where it says in the Gospels somewhere that he's like 30 years old. When he starts his ministry, mm-hmm. I just remember off hand. So we'll have to we'll have to look. But going back to the forty six, so you guys you were talking about there. So Herod, that's correct. So Herod is the one. It's interesting. Herod is the one who built the temple, rebuilt the temple. Okay, and at the time Jesus is talking about here, it's been forty six years to rebuild the temple, but with and what's interesting is the temple was still not fully rebuilt yet. So Herod had this massive project, and Herod was doing this because he both had a big ego, but he wanted to really get in good with the Jews. So it's like, I'm going to I'm going to build this big temple for you, all right? And all the Jews will love him because he built this big temple. But this is 46 years into the building of that temple. The temple was not built fully until 63 A.D. Right before it was torn down. Seven years later, it gets torn down. All right. <laughs> so, so we still, like if you're going to the temple, it'd be sort of like what happens when we're driving around here. You know, you see all these building projects and stuff. I mean, the temple, you'd probably go into different places in the temple, which is massive. 
and you would find, you know, okay, work okay. still being done. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Um, all right. So I want you guys to notice, this comes to some of the things all of you are bringing up, and Ken, you are bringing it up. So if you take a look, so you, we go down, we find out about the whip of cords. He's overturning the tables. Verse 16, he he told those who, so he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. So he's calling the temple what? His father's house. father's house. All right. And then notice what it says in verse 17. <clears throat> His disciples remembered that it was written, "Zeal for your house will consume me." Hmm. So. Notice what happens at this point. The disciples see this going on, and they remember. What do they remember? <laughs> they remember scripture. scripture. They remember scripture. Exactly. Anybody? You guys probably have your references in your in your Bibles. Some, if you have your Bibles, anybody know where that quote is from? That's not that's not in Isaiah, is it? No. Nope. <laughs> yeah, I actually look at Google, but don't tell us. <laughs> Anybody know? Anybody see that in their cross references of their Bible or anything? If they have another Bible, Do you just have yours there, Ken. Does it show anything yeah, about that? It has a B there, and I can't. Is it a, a song? It is a song. Mm-hmm. Which one? Come on, Jason. Yeah, it's like 69.9. 69.9 is the right answer. Woo! Oh. <laughs> I knew that in my head. Yeah. <laughs> Which is you remembered, right? Right. Just like the disciples, a good disciple, he would say Psalm 69.9, but he wasn't with it. Because they did. no numbers. They had no numbers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I like that. I'd much prefer just remembering the yeah, saying. Just say it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's in you can say, you yeah. can say And if book, you're a good disciple, Jason, <laughs> you wouldn't just remember Psalm 69.9. You would now recite to me that entire Psalm. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> if, I, I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and once you rememorize all the Psalms, then you could be a Puritan. During the Puritans, you know, in America, sure. they had to memorize, the Puritan pastors had to memorize the entire book of Psalms to become a Puritan pastor. So see, there you go. You guys now have a mission. <laughs> All right. So Isaiah 69.9 is, no, sorry, Psalm 69.9. Thank you, Isaiah. Um, Psalm 69.9. So I'll just read part of it. Um, in fact, I'll start at verse 6. It says, Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and alien to my mother's sons. And then verse 9. For zeal from your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. 
When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. Um, so what do you think? Can what I ask you, you something? Yes. Uh, when, what you just read is in the first person, and is that David speaking or at the psalmist, or is that Jesus speaking through the psalm? Well, it's... I mean, here it's David. David's one who wrote this psalm. Yeah. And I just turned it up. So it is David but who wrote the psalm. But often in the psalms, the Lord Jesus is speaking, I. Right. And it sounds like this is pretty descriptive of what he of went he through. Speak. Yeah. And so which, it's yes. him. It's, I would say that's probably Jesus speaking as well. Which is why the disciples are saying, zeal for your house will consume me. Who's zeal? You just said it, Tom, mm-hmm. right? So, the disciples are recognizing that Jesus is saying this. He is zeal, okay, which is all this passion. Zeal is, in essence, passion for the Father's house. There's there's hearing Jesus say, do not do this to my Father's house, this temple. And he has all the zeal, and they're remembering Psalm 69.9 and going, huh? (laughs) On that passage. Yeah. Okay, so then, verse 18, so the Jews said to him, so the Jews see, and here, remember again, when John says the Jews, who were the Jews? The religious leaders. Right, the religious leaders. Okay, so the religious leaders say to Jesus, what sign do you show us for doing these things? So, when you hear that, thinking about signs from last week, if you hear from last week, what's what's happening here? Now they're asking the, him for a miracle. Yeah, they're asking him for a miracle. And why are they asking him for a miracle? To validate his authority. Yeah, to validate who he is. Were these Jews, these people that were talking to him, the religious leaders? They were doing something wrong, right? They were they were profiting from from this, right? Yeah. In part, well, there's a lot of debate. I don't think we know in reading this whether they were personally profiting or not. But the, the religious leaders are the ones who make the temple happen. They're so the ones who stewards. are. Pro- Did they profit? Probably. <laughs> we don't know that for sure. Indirectly, if not. Yeah. Probably. But they said they were selling licenses. And yeah, so they're they're at least making all this happen. So if you have someone come in and disturb your business, <laughs> you know, so other people don't want to come into your business anymore, you're going to be pretty upset, right? Well, so the well, Jews are like, well, I mean, think what the it, heck is going on here? Especially when you got a license to do it. Yeah, yeah. One way or other, it was corrupted. Yeah, it was just corruption all the way through and through. And it's interesting all the things that were in there that were also symbolic of all the ideal idolatry of, of man as well. All these, yeah, yeah. just all wrong. I it's take it as it, he wasn't necessarily against commerce. He just didn't want it done in the temple. Yeah, that's course. part of it too. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Also, I think we all know um, the money changers were like uh, bankers. Mm-hmm. And you had to pay for your sacrificial animal with the official currency of the temple. Mm-hmm. So if you came in from Turkey 
with a Turkish lira, the banker guy would rip you off in the exchange. Yeah. And do it in the temple. Yeah. Right. Rip them off outside of the temple. Right. Right. Um, But notice that they ask him, what sign do you show for us doing these things? Do you see any of the irony that which we read about, for those of you who were here last week, Jesus did his first sign, okay, which was turning water to wine, and we hear that's his first sign that he does. The irony here is that now you have in the second situation, you have him not doing a sign, you have them requesting a sign. And he's saying his last sign. Hmm? He's saying his last sign. The last sign that he will do is the sign that he's telling them. Oh. He's saying, say that again? He's, he's saying, they're oh, asking for a sign, and he's saying, in three days, tear, right. tear this. Well, oh, I got you. It's, yeah. it's his last sign is his resurrection. That's the last sign. About that. That's and good. it's right next to the first sign. Yeah, okay. It's, good. I didn't think about that, actually. So in a okay. sense, his answer to show me a sign is like, Wait and see. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Huh. You know, in the life of Brian, <laughs> uh-huh. he said, well, I just did that miracle up there at Cana and turned it into wine. Didn't you hear about that? <laughs> just <laughs> kidding. That's not in my life of Brian. Oh, uh, okay. That's <laughs> not in the life of Brian? <laughs> but that's, that would have been a logical answer, right? Right. Give us a it, sign. He went, right. well, um... And you guys were all having a discussion last week about, like, okay, did the people, did that sign at the wedding really get out? Did the servants really talk about it and stuff? Well, if they did, then it would be sort of like, well, hello, I just did a sign. Now, oh, well, but, again, these guys, I guarantee you they heard murmurs of it. They heard something about it. And what they're trying to do, which they've tried to do all the way through, is they want him to convict himself. Yes. Of something that they can get rid of him for. Yeah. Already? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Could, I mean, Definitely. absolutely. He's just shown up on the scene. In the Nonetheless. <laughs> While he turned over the table. These guys, yeah. these guys had no intention ever of acknowledging yeah. him. Well, he, I mean, he disrupted, sure. again, he's disrupting their business. Us. Yeah. The livelihood. But I think he's a surprise. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm sure he was a yeah, surprise. Yeah, you, you, you know what's interesting is that they no. didn't go after him at that point. Right. Well, and that's why, it's, again, we don't know, yeah. because the scripture doesn't say, but that's why, given how things right. happen oh, yeah. here, and this is the beginning, that's yeah, probably yeah. why it happened. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to remember, if you guys have ever been to, if you ever go to Israel, I mean, when you take a look at the temple, I mean, all you have is a stripped down of the foundation now. There's nothing left, because it's destroyed in 70 AD. But this place is massive, and a lot of people think this is probably the Gentile courts where this happened. So there's, this is Passover. I mean, we're talking about, you talk about crowds. I mean, this is a massive scene. So Jesus could have done this in one part and not really have Because how many tables could he actually flip in a... (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah. You could probably flip them all if you wanted to. During Passover, didn't the city swell like a few hundred thousand people or something? Huge. Right, exactly. In addition to what's already there? They said there was a quarter million sacrifices. That means that there would have been at least that many people. Or du- yeah. double, right? It was per. Was that was that per family or was that per person? I think it's like per family. Yeah, it, it's massive. One per family. Yeah, right? it, it's yeah. a massive. Wow, well, I don't understand that part. Yeah, what? explain that the sacrifices. A, a sheep oh, or a lamb, a I should say. Yeah. 
Yeah, because yeah, it says, I was wondering why it said that in here. It said 250,000 animals or something. Yeah, Matt, well, I was just saying that based on what you said, which sounded yeah. right. You know, okay. I feel like yeah. I've heard that before. Yeah. So, gosh, there could have been a million, million people. Yeah. Million so you can imagine in this situation, it could have happened and just become sort of like a little spark of his ministry. And a few Jews are around and they're asking, what the heck are you doing here? Do you know if there's a different word in the Greek for pigeons and doves? I don't know. Yeah. Is there, does this one, oh, I see. Because your other one said, um, let's see. Um, so I can tell you. It's interesting that he got so specific. Yeah, and he does here. That's what's so much different about the other one. Well, so, I, I think an interesting point uh, is. I mean, specific because he only addressed the sellers of the pigeons. It, you didn't it, address the guys that were money changing. You didn't address the guys selling sheep. Didn't you talk about the pi- the pigeon? The reason? pigeons were were the sacrifice of the poorest people. Yeah. So if you couldn't afford, Correct. if you couldn't, there there was prescriptions, right? Like you were to bring a lamb, but if you couldn't afford a lamb, you could bring something else. Yeah. And if you yeah. couldn't afford that, then then the lowest thing was was the pigeons. And it so wasn't it like, it the like poorest people. And they were like, and they were bilking the poor people for the pigeons. This one says, yeah, I mean, which kind of says, yeah, this one says, um, he said to those who sold doves. Cool. Because that's, that relates to the Holy Spirit. I mean, God's been complaining about the fact that their sacrifices make him sick since Isaiah. Right? And now they're walking in and now it's just, now it's just like a business. Even before Isaiah, it was all the way back in Samuel. was when he first says that. All the way back in, yeah. So, So Christ walks in. God, God steps in and, yeah, what else are you going to do? So, seriously, you guys are still at this nonsense? And you're, and you're doing the exact opposite thing you're supposed to be doing. And then you're ripping off the poor on top of it, as if that's going to get you in good with me. Yeah. So, in answer to your question, pigeons are doves. Same Greek word. Yeah, in fact, it's the same word that's used in Matthew, in your Matthew version, too, when it says pigeons. So sometimes it says dove, sometimes it says It makes sense because um, a a dove, especially like a white one, would be considered pure, like the pure sheep, not a spot with blemish, so they could sell those. Pigeons, you know, pretty messy colorations. Yeah. So, so notice he says, you know, what sign do do you do for these things? And as always, yeah, and Jesus, like, you can imagine it goes back to, I think, Pete said, and you guys were saying, Jesus answers them. So just imagine them hearing this. You guys, you're a Jew. Okay, the temple is everything, right? Herod's just rebuilding this humongous temple. And the Jews, and Jesus says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. I mean, all of us would just go, probably answer the same way, like, what are you talking about? Does it even make sense? Well, and they're looking temple. at 46 years has taken Herod to rebuild this temple and he had a massive amount of people helping him and you're going to destroy this temple? Yeah. Okay. I would and have then, understood only if he said my temple. Yeah. This temple. Yeah, but they then got, I would okay. have had a clue. Which makes it so much cooler that he didn't. Yeah. yeah. He's like, you guys are thinking about the wrong thing. Sure. So destroy this temple, and, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said to him, well, like, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, 
and you you will raise it up in three days. Okay, so that's the end of the conversation. At this point, that ends the exchange. Because now John gives some crudal, critical commentary here. John plays Back to the Future. All right, he gets in his little time machine, right, and look what happens. John makes a comment, but Jesus was speaking about what temple? Temple of his body. Jeff always brings up this idea of thinking small versus thinking large, right? And how all through, in particular the Old Testament, God is going, you guys, you keep thinking from your perspective and not from mine. I need you to get here with me. That is such an amazing example of the irony of what you said. Like if you've ever been there, this thing is just absolutely massive, right? What a beautiful example of that. No, no, you guys are thinking small by thinking about this giant structure right. that, that has taken 46 years to build. Me in this fragile form, I'm eternal. Right? That's, right. that's the big so picture. So I want you to right think. So listen to what Jason just said. So I want you to now think, <laughs> based on what you just said, what is Jesus really saying here? So what's he saying about the temple? So you talk about thinking small and thinking big. Mm -hmm. So just think of this now. We, because look what happens. says, but he was speaking about the temple device. Let me just finish. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead... Right? So now this is in the future. His disciples remember. went, Oh! Remember that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So I want you guys to think temple. Yeah, go ahead. Besides John, who else is there? Which disciples are there with him? Doesn't say. So, but you so can far, assume like Peter, uh, yeah. Peter, Andrew, Nathan, Philip, right? Nathaniel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whatever the ones that have been called at this point, right? Most many of his disciples are there with him. Okay. Not so you were asking that question. Yeah. No, I just wanted to get context as to who was there with him and who he's referencing when he says his disciples remembered that he had said this yeah. in this instance. Right. And I would say this is probably their, the core apostles. Okay. Probably the, could, is it all 12? I, I don't know exactly no. how many, but it's at least the core ones. But Matthew, Mark, could be Peter. Right. Okay. Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke did not reference this. Right. And, and so does that mean they weren't there? Mm. It either means that they weren't there, but probably what it means well, is Luke that... Well, Luke wasn't there for sure. The what? Luke was Luke there. not there. Yeah, yeah, Luke was not there. But they... So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're telling a story, and that's what's cool about John. This like a, we would normally tell a story. You pick up a book, and you read it from the beginning to the end, and it goes sequential in time. But you know, a lot of novels and books these days will do this play with all the time frame. That's what John's sort of doing. John's not giving you just, I'm telling you the story from beginning to end, but as he's telling the story, he's going back and forth. Okay, with it. All right. So, when you talk about large and small, you can take the temple of his body being 
literally his body and the resurrection, or the body is the whole church. Yeah, he's t- right. I, I believe he's talking about both. Good point. Yeah. R- right. So that's what I want to go go with. So here, I want you guys think now. Temple. What is the temple for the Jews? The temple is what? For the Jews, it's a structure. Well, no, it's not. House of God. No, it's not. The, for the Jews, it is not a structure. What is, what is, if you ask a Jew then, what is the temple? What is the meaning? What is the temple? It it's is the what? house of God. The dwelling it's the place holy of place. The Lord. It, yeah. Say it again. The dwelling place of the Lord. It is a dwelling place of God. The dwelling, yeah. yes. That's the key word. So the temple for mm-hmm. the Jews is where God dwells. Okay, now they know, as it says in Samuel, they know that God is you know, everywhere. They, they don't deny that. But God's personal presence that told the Jews, I am with you, okay, was at this point in time in the temple. Alright, that's the Jews, that's what they would believe. In the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies. But, not at this time. So what happened was back in the time of like Ezekiel and stuff, when Sam, when when Samuel, so, yeah, David, who built Solomon? Solomon. <laughs> you have David. Solomon builds the first temple. This is the so when when Solomon builds a temple. Well, no, sorry, I'm going to go back one more time. Remember when the Jews come out of the Exodus, they build a tabernacle that they take along with them. Ark of the Covenants in the tabernacle. When they build that tabernacle, God's presence, visible presence, comes and comes upon that tabernacle. And they actually witness that presence of God as that tabernacle is moved. They, you know, the cloud, the fire, all those things. You know, watch Indiana Jones, you got it. Right? Mm. And that's pretty realistic. Presence of God is in the tabernacle. Then God says, I want you to make me a permanent home, which is going to be in Jerusalem. Solomon builds the temple. After Solomon builds the temple, the presence of God visibly comes to and into the temple. And the Jews said, God is with us now. And so... Uh-huh. They would go into the Holy of Holies, a priest, once a year. The, the priest would go into the Holy Holy and make sacrifices. That presence of God was visibly, tangibly in that Holy of Holies at that time. But then what ends up happening is the and sin and, and, of the people. It was, known, it was known as the Shekinah glory. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Shekinah? Remember, Shekinah. Shekinah glory, which, remember, glory means the presence of God. We talked about mm-hmm. that, right? So what ends up happening is when the sin of the people of the Jews becomes so bad, God leaves the temple. Do you know He's when no, that was? This is, pardon me? Do you know when that was? It's, a, it's around, I think, the time of, I think, I want to say, Second Kings, I'm going to guess... And they say it's, it's where they said, where they say, Ichabod, the glory is departed. Yeah, it's departed, right. And yeah. I'm... Going to guess around, let's say, 800. <laughs> 800, 600 BC. 
All right. Was there a prophet during that time? You yeah, you had, this? you had, yes. And there's a prophet, I'm trying to remember exactly where it's at, but I think it's in Kings. That'd be kind of a bummer. God's left. Ezekiel. It, it's a big bummer. Just read Kings. <laughs> Which of the Jews, did the religious <laughs> leaders at this time? Have you read Ezekiel lately? <laughs> oh, it's crazy. Oh, Ezekiel. I, I can't wait for, it's X-rated too, and you get to some places. Right. But, um, okay, so anyway. God leaves the temple. All right, to the Jews, and now for hundreds of years, because as I was telling Bruce, Malachi ends, the last book of the Old Testament ends 400 years before Jesus comes. So, six, eight hundred years, God's gone. Okay? God's gone. Literally, God's so gone. But do you think the religious leaders, the Jews at this time, thought he was there? No, they did not. They knew he was they gone. They knew he was gone. Oh. They knew he was gone. He was not there. There was never a visible presence of God. They continue to do the sacrificing, and what you have in the later prophets, and what you have is a people for 400 years anticipating and waiting, when will God come back? Hmm. So when Jesus comes and starts saying stuff like this, <laughs> all right, Jesus is now saying, what is he saying? He's telling the Jews, as we're seeing John, basically, literally, although they're not getting it, and you're seeing it right here. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Jesus was saying, I am that Shekinah glory. I am now the very presence of God here on earth. Which is why Jesus says, you don't need to be in a temple. We're going to see that later on with the stories. I think the Samaritan woman and stuff, right? You don't need to. It doesn't matter where you worship. You worship in spirit and truth. Why? Because Jesus is that presence of God now. And he's claiming to be that. So what you have here is you have, when Jesus says this is the temple of his body, he literally is saying something so huge, which is, I am. That presence you have longed for. I mean, just, I don't know if you can feel palatable how that Shekinah glory is like, He is here. God is among us. And they and don't get you, that. And yet. if you went a few minutes before he says that, God is whipping people yeah. and driving animals out. God is. Which is what, as we read through Isaiah, right? That's what, that's what God does, bring his, brings his judgment upon his people. For what they've done. So, now going back to what you were saying, you were saying, think about what happens. Jesus is that presence of God. But what ends up happening when he is crucified at the cross? What happens? Think, think about this. This is just like, yeah. What happens? Where is the presence of God? And what does Jesus tell us we're reading in John? Where is the presence of God What's going to happen to this presence of God of Jesus when his body is no longer? Where does that presence you mean when of his God body's go? Dead? The Holy yeah. Spirit. That's it right. Goes, it goes, the, well, go ahead. the Holy Spirit is the presence of God. Let's go, Bruce. The term Holy Spirit is the presence of God. So Jesus says, when I leave, I'm going to bring another paraclete, which is my spirit, to beware. With you. To be among you and live in, in all of us. In you. And, and just so I don't get real confused, you can say no. this real quick. Yeah, no, don't. No, this is super uh, important. 
and what they were thinking, the Jewish leaders, once again, they're thinking what David had Solomon build. They're yes. thinking of that temple, right? Exactly. All this time, they're thinking old-term scripture. Old Absolutely. And they're thinking, well, first of all, you're crazy, because to Jesus, it's like, I mean, this doesn't even make sense, okay, um, because he's saying things that don't make sense to them, because the presence of God is not in, can't be in this man, in Jesus. We're waiting for that presence to come in the temple, and still today, today, the Orthodox Jews are today waiting at the temple, a whole group of them, waiting for that Shekinah glory to come back onto the temple, which is where the Muslim thing is right now, dome. Of, and they're waiting for that to come back down there because they still believe today that is what's going to happen. So they're waiting for it before they rebuild? That's so like right. Not that even because they're waiting because they, they actually have all the sacrifice, all, there's a whole group of Jews that yeah. have secretly all these different utensils, um, the, the entire, all the stuff they need from the Levitical right. stuff, waiting for God to come back to his temple for but them don't to they worship. Need a, a building? They, they yeah. will. You would think they would need a building, but there is no building yet. So, so they're hoping Jesus is going to. Well, they've got to blow up the mosque first. Old <laughs> yeah. Testament. Yeah. But they God in Old Testament. They're working on that. To the words in the Old Testament, they yeah. ignored the prophets. They, that if they had been paying attention to the Old Testament, they would have known that, that they're on the wrong track. Yeah. So, turn to First Corinthians. You guys see this? Turn to First Corinthians. So, just in this one statement, just all the stuff that's actually happening here. First Corinthians. Where does it go? Six nineteen. Corinthians 6.19 Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? Alright? you. So here it's specifically telling us that the temple that, that our bodies today as believers are that temple that have the presence of God living in us. Alright? Hey, we're brought at a, bought at a price. Yeah. If you, as I'll just say to all you guys, okay, or if you ever meet someone and talking about this, which is the rest of verse of chapter six, why do we not go and screw around our wives? Why do we not? Why do we not have sex before we're married? Why? Because our only one reason, <laughs> because the very presence of God lives in us. Mm. We are holy, all right? And if we get today, I mean, I'm I, so far as just saying, just bluntly, if we really get that the, the presence of God, that presence of God that the Jews waited for back then to come upon that temple, that that presence of God lives in us, we have no excuse to sin. Because <laughs> the, the, the Shekinah glory was a f flame. 
was a fire. And that and that's what was that lives in Pentecost. you. Know? Pentecost that comes in us. All right. And it was witnessed by yep. how many people? Uh, a, a lot. A whole bunch. A whole bunch. Um, three sixteen is also, I think. Um, so three sixteen. In First Corinthians, do you not know that you are God's temple, mm-hmm. and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Period. <laughs> okay. Nobody does not. Do you not? I mean, if if we ever need to ask ourselves or convict ourselves of what am I doing with my body? Do you not know that you are that temple that Jesus was referring to back? It was His body then. That was ultimately the presence of God in that temple. That is now lives in us. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> I just every time I read it, I go, "If we Ooh. just experienced that and really got it, we would never sin again. Ephesians, we would live in holiness." Ephesians two, yeah. two, um, like twenty. Also says, built on the foundation of the apostle, apostles, prophets, and Jesus Christ Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Yeah, and do you see how the same thing is? Think of this room right now. Back then, was, this was all happening in the temple, the building. I think you said, Jason, maybe I forgot who said it. But it's a building, right? And we think church. We're going to go to church today. <laughs> I don't think of a building at all. I know. But, but people do. I mean, we think we're going to come to church. We're going to come to this building, all right? But the building is nothing, right? It is the presence of God in each one of us sitting here right now right. that is God's temple. We are that. We're sitting right here in the upper room. <laughs> okay? But that very presence lives in us today. Well, that's powerful. Yeah, it just, um, mm. like, wow. <laughs> so, you guys have any comments? I mean, I just read this and I just, it's just good convicting to me to just go, <clears throat> Jesus wow. Christ awesome. will baptize John the Baptist, but, but he will baptize with fire. And yeah. the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Uh, I just, it's a glory. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ken. You guys. No, I, I, I still got a little confused on 619. Um, what was your point again? Well, so if you read, actually, so the problem is, if you notice, I probably should have read the other one, just more clearer, but it's good for you to know. Notice in 619, this is out of context, where it says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? All right, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The whole point of chapter 6 um, is all about immorality and what are we doing. So this is, this is the key phrase. I mean, if I ever am talking to someone and go, why should you not have sex before you're married? Why should you not have an affair in your wife? Or you know, a woman do that with her husband? Well, it's pretty explicit because it says, you guys remember this when we went through 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians 6.13, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. And God would destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, which is everything of sex outside marriage. But for the Lord, 
So what's our body for? It's for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, going back to what we just read. Jesus says, on the third day I will raise you. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And this is the most radical statement, I think, regarding sex and all the scripture. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. When I have sex outside of marriage, I am literally saying, Christ, you, I'm bringing Christ into that immoral act. How can we do that? And that's, that's what Jesus was doing in the, in the temple in Jerusalem. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Cleaning you out. Because yeah. you are bringing immorality into the house right. of God. And he is like, literally, Christ is there. He is literally there. He's busy lives in us. So you just see, like, the implications. This is like the sexual implication of what does that mean to have the Spirit inside of us. So, anyway. You, you, you mentioned something in there that, that kind of got gleaned. He, he will raise us up by his power. That's... Yeah. But again, what is that power? And he he's that going to raise us up by that power. That power. Those, so we need to be able to recognize that that power is in us. That's right. But why did Jesus also not just say, don't go screwing anyone else? He said, truly, I tell you, if you look at another woman with lust, you're committing adultery. Why? Easy for all you happily Be- married guys to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, it isn't. No, it's not in Laguna Beach, I'll tell you what. Especially, <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. man. It's yeah. a, it is yeah. a practice, and it has to... The only way you're going to recognize that again and be able to live through that is through that power. Yeah. And the recognition that that power is there. Right. And remember that, and that power... The, the, the humility that that right. brings... That power is the very presence of God living inside of us. Yes. That power yeah, is that the sense. presence of God that rose Jesus from the dead and will raise us up. Yes. If you ever wonder, do I have enough power to say no? Yes. So much the more. Answer is yes. But the answer is yes. It's Christ though, right? That's right. It's, it's, it's not. It's, it's the actual. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. No. I want to make sure I get, I get No, this is good, Ken. So, from what I'm understanding, 619 is more about Christ. It's about that choice, believing in Jesus Christ. Well, it's about Christ living in us. So when I say the presence of God living in us, I literally mean, and we could look at passages with it, but when we say the Spirit's in us, and I was going to get to this next, but we'll do this next week. We'll pick up in the last part of this next week because it, it go, it, it's this whole combination of, yeah, when we're talking about Christ, it is Christ who lives in us today. It is literally Christ. So, the Spirit is the presence of God. <laughs> it is the Spirit of Christ. It's called that. It is the very presence of Christ lives in us. The Bible talks about that God's presence lives in us. And Jesus lives in us. That Christ lives in us. Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's right. We literally, through this miracle we don't understand... That's why I'm talking about the whole purpose of this John thing. 
you know, I want to hear you share, you know, <laughs> some of the things you were talking about, and some of the things you've already shared. Why are we speaking Christ into the world? <laughs> yeah. Because he is the one who lives in us right now, and the way that we are that witness to the world is by speaking his words out of us. So, the presence lives in us. When we go and we tell others about Jesus, we are, I won't say literally, I'll say the word literally, we are literally Christ to others. So, so Paul's, yeah. Paul's, he's explaining reality. So when yeah. you say literally, <laughs> it's, it is, this what is he's real. saying is, hey guys, whether you know it or not, this is reality. This is the real, real. Okay? Yeah. This is what's happening. So this choice is simply you acknowledging what simply is. Yeah. Okay? That's right. So you get to choose to deny it, or you can just be in it. But it's there regardless. You just get to participate if you choose. So does that make sense, Ken? Do you, uh, do you yeah. mind answer your question I mean, about, are you talking I mean, about specifically chapter 6? Are you... 619 just kind of, I struggled a little bit because you were saying that part about like, it sounded to me like what you were trying to say was that our power is the fact that we can do it because Jesus died on the cross and went to heaven. And But, it, mm-hmm. but what my understanding when I look at that passage, it's more about what, what we just said a few minutes ago I'm not trying to get confused, that I feel like Christ is within me. And I feel mm-hmm. like that's what, that I don't know enough, I, I, I'll say this real quick, I don't know enough, like I'm, I'm learning, mm-hmm. but when I speak to others, I feel that I am able to pour out, I don't even know if I'm saying the right words or not, but I feel, I feel in power, I feel, I just feel good. And you it, you it, feel it, the it presence, good. the power of God. I'm so happy I'm in this group mm-hmm. and I'm mm-hmm. trying to make it into an AA meeting. <laughs> I just feel like I feel powerful, you know. And I it's and I have and I am. I'm not going to be egocentric, but I, I am one of those kind of people that are around a lot of people for many time, for a lot of the things I do in my life. And mm-hmm. this past couple of months, it's just been amazing for me to just say the things I can. Yeah, and and I think and I think that what you so I think I think you. I would say get it. That's right. I don't like say. I think you get. You are right. So Jesus, we were talking about on one hand what Jesus did. Okay, mm-hmm. died and the third day rose again. He now sits at the right hand of God. Right. Those are all facts. That's the real, real. Yes. But what he did in that process, which we're going to see as we go through John, is he said, "I'm going to do that, and I'm going to bring now the presence of myself to be able to, since I'm up here now in heaven." I'm going to make it so that presence of me, literal presence of Christ, lives in each one of you who believe. When I put my faith in Christ, that's why we share, want to share it, right? Wow, you can have Christ living in you. And I think what you're experiencing is very valid. You're experiencing that presence of Christ living in you. And as you share with others, you're experiencing that presence of Christ. Yeah. So you touched on something that, like, you know, so yes, Jesus died and was resurrected and went to heaven, right? So that is like, okay, that's kind of, okay, so why did he go, why did he just stay here, right? What's the Holy Spirit thing and what's all that? And what's, so the significant, what's the significance of Christ now being in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father? 
versus being down here, right? And leaving us with this Holy Spirit that dwells within us, mm -hmm. right? That power that you're feeling, that goodness that you're feeling is coming literally from the center of the universe is coming yeah. from the throne of God. Uh -huh. it is. That is the significance of Christ being there and not here. So that you can act from that authority. Yeah. And power. And power. And presence. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How cool is yeah. that? I know. <laughs> that's the stuff that just blows my brains. Yeah. It's like, yeah. dude! Well, that's why, and that's why I think, golly, what a gift we have to offer the world. Yes. <laughs> when, I mean, when you guys are talking about another yeah. scripture, uh, uh -huh. verse me, and that's a little leaven. Leaven's a whole lump. So if, if, if we just uh, concede and let a little sin in, that connection is gone. Yeah. At least it gets fuzzy for a time, yeah. for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, if it leavens a whole lump, we're thinking, I'm just going to. Do a little bit here. Yeah, it's just, she's there. awfully cute. Yeah. I'm just going <laughs> right, you know? And from Jesus' point of view, it's like, okay, that little speck, you just put that in the dough, and it went... It's right. a lot. <laughs> well, you, well it's, and it's immediate, right? You're, you're sitting there, and you're going, oh, Jesus is so great. I'm sitting here on the beach painting. All of a sudden, there comes the G-string right in my eye view, and they're purposely trying to get in my thing and get my attention. Uh, now, suddenly you're going, okay, now I'm thinking about this distraction as opposed to like, doing what I'm supposed to be doing in correlation with God, right? And then you're going, okay, regroup, right? And you got to... Regroup, you got to yeah. carry your little easel off the... Whatever you got to do. Whatever, whatever it says, flee from yeah. sexual and, immorality. And in fact, that's, in fact my, my pastor, I'm called Book now, but my pastor from the Bay Area... <clears throat> that's exactly what you say. It's like, what are you guys talking about? Why are you even thinking about, oh, it, it's okay, I'll just, I know I have a problem with alcohol, so I'll just sort of walk by the bar, or I'll walk into the bar and sort of say hi to everybody. It's like, it goes, no, I'll you sleep, and you go around as far as you can, and you get away. <laughs> right. No, we can't, it goes back to what Tom just said, you just... You can't do it. You're I, trying to play with it. I, I train. I train some um, females, and I train some uh, uh, high school athletes or college athletes, whatever. And at the gym that I work at, there's a there's a women's gym. But the, the trainers, if you have a female client, you can train them in the um, women's gym. And usually, the women's gym is pretty quiet, which is nice. And um, but occasionally, you'll be in there training. And focused on what you're doing. And all of a sudden, there's like six gorgeous, insanely fit women in very close quarters, all doing the most obscene gestures all around you. And, and clearly trying to get attention, right? And you're like, just, ooh. Yeah. I'm just, you just, it's, it's great practice, actually. Yeah. You got to focus it, but, but it's. <laughs> yeah. We do. We I get need practice. Yeah, we, we get we get a lot of practice. You used to drive down. Oh, sorry, Jason couldn't make it today. I'm your trainer. Uh, oh yeah, that too. Let's call the girls. Seriously, just ride, drive down. Yeah, it's just, anyway. Okay, what we should be talking about. We start about Christ. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, in terms of, yeah. it is a practice. You, it you is have a practice. To, it's discipline. It's like practice. Make it is a discipline. You yeah, have and, to, right? and, and like you said, like don't make peace with it. Right. You're always at war. Yes. With, you're always. warring against the right. flesh. Yeah. Yep. Right? That's what it's saying. So, like, yep. don't make peace with it. No. And well, I can tell you right now, I'll warn all of you. Just, yeah, so yeah. warning to all of you right now, because we're talking about this right now. Be careful when you get home. Be careful when you're looking at your phone. 
Because when we're talking about this stuff, oh, yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll Satan, loves, right Satan loves to just come and attack us. I'm looking at so, the interest. All of a sudden, yeah. Schwen, oh, All right. Yeah. All right. I'm afraid. Father, I just, um, we thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on this cross and rose three days later, sitting at the right hand of God, and gave us the greatest gift anyone could ever ask for which is you to live in us. Can you help each one of us in this room right now? Can you help me, Bruce, Pete, Ken, Mike, Jason, John, what's your name? And Tom. Help all of us, Lord, to have a taste, a whole meal, of really getting what it is to have your presence, that power of the presence, that love of Christ living in us. Give us a taste of that, Lord. And yeah. Father, I pray right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Satan, you have no power in our lives. None, mm -hmm. absolutely none. No demons. Satan, you are gone. As we go home as men, Lord, protect our hearts, protect our minds. And give us the power through your spirit to rely only on you to keep us holy as you are holy. Because you tell us to be holy as you are holy. We only can do that because you live in us. And this week, Lord, I pray that we can find those opportunities. Those opportunities to speak Christ into this world. To be the living Christ, not just in our presence that lives in us, but as we open our mouth that we can speak your word to others. May we do that and be sensitive to everyone we see, everyone we contact. Show us those people to preach the gospel to. We love you, Lord. We love you. We thank you that you are the God above all gods. And we ask this all in the name above all names. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our King, and our High Priest who lives in us. Amen. 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 Amen.